Mama Mystery. Welcome back to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I am Kelly's husband, Austin. All right. So before we get into today's episode, we are going to just have a quick little convo. Austin has something he wants to talk about. It's going to be maybe three to five minutes. If you don't want to hear it, just skip ahead, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> really? I, I No, I just said that I had something funny I was going to tell you. Yeah, and tell I me. think the other moms will relate. And all it is, is that, listen, we have young kids mm-hmm. and we have older kids. Mm-hmm. Two, nine, and ten. When a nine and ten-year-old wants to have a bite of your food... The answer is no. <laughs> Go get some Easy Mac or something, you know, or maybe I'll let them have a f- to taste, but then if they really like it, I'm going to feel bad. But when our two-year-old wants a bite of my food, absolutely, buddy, let's see what you like. <laughs> You're like, have the whole plate. Yeah, and then you ha- let them have the whole plate. And I know I'm not the only one that's like that. So similarly, I cannot stand to hear people chewing. It's that misophonia oh, Misophonia thing. got it too. I, if my kids do this all the time, they'll get right next to my head, especially in the car. If we're like waiting to drop them off for school or something and they'll chew their gum right by my ear. And I just, it sends me into almost a rage. I mean, I I don't fully go into rage, but I get close. However, if Augie, our cute little baby is like chomping on a banana, eating with his mouth open. I'm like, this is music to my ears. Why? Where's the line? Does the cuteness stop? And I think it's like five or six probably, but I don't know. It's got to be more recent or maybe seven, eight. Yeah. I think at five, start closing your mouth when you choose. I'm like, I, mean, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> and I'd like prefer Augie close his mouth, but if I do have to hear it, it's endearing. That's so true. There's so much that a little baby can get away with that older kids can't. I yeah. mean, that kind of goes without saying, I guess, but yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that's really all I had. I just thought it was a thought that I wanted to share. It was a thought that I thought, and I wanted to share it with you. I'm really glad you did. Thank you. How are you liking the other Mama Minute episodes where I talk to you about The Bachelor? I'm so (laughs) excited for the next one. Um, they're definitely fun for you. (laughs) To be honest, and I think there's a lot of people who probably don't listen to it, but maybe maybe there's a lot to do. I I want to see the analytics on it, see how many people listen to it. But I, I seriously think that is the dumbest TV show. I think it's such, and, and you wonder when it gets to me, what? here's when it gets to me, when it starts becoming, oh my God. So this person said this about this, and then she's arguing about, and it's all the drama. And it's like, dude, this is like literally like preteen, like high schoolers. Yeah. It's the, he said, she said stuff yeah, I that can't gets stand, you. Like, it's just feels like such a waste of time and energy to even talk about, but I do it cause <laughs> I love you and that's why I do it. So I listen and I contribute my, Wow. <laughs> and I hope that people enjoy that, I guess. You know, you already zone out whenever we're talking about true crime. I don't think you actually hear half of that conversation. Okay, analytics. It gets as many listens as our usual no episodes. No way. Yes, I'm just now looking so at it. So these people listening right now are probably listening to the Bachelor episodes. Yeah, I mean, That's last crazy. since last week, that one episode has had 4,200 downloads, which is quite a bit. See, and I think that... I think there's someone... That would be better at it than me. You know? I don't think so, babe. I think what people... I don't think people like my... I think I need to be subbed out on those. And I'm not a big fan of wanting to be subbed out on the show. This is my spot. But on those episodes, <laughs> you know, if you do end up wanting to have somebody else on... 
Austin, let me tell you something, because this is the general consensus I get from our listeners all the time. They feel like listening to Mama Mystery is similar to them telling their husband or their boyfriend, their significant other, these stories. Sometimes they relate to me because I'm telling you the story and you are either disinterested or shocked. And sometimes they relate to you because they literally have the same reactions at the same time. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people that listen connect with both of us. I think I, when we do the bachelor episodes or just the, the mama minutes where we talk about random stuff, it, it brings in not only people who like can relate cause they are married to someone similar, but I think husbands listen too because they, they I relate just, to you. I just think that it would be good if you had some chick on that also enjoyed it and could go, Oh my God. Yeah. Angela is a bitch. Well, and, and then you I guys don't have a lot of friends. So oh, I'm just worse. kidding. I do have friends, <laughs> but it's actually so much harder. Trust me. I've thought about it. Cause I think my best friend Romeo would actually be a really good co-host for episodes like that. Cause he's yeah. just really good at talking shit. He's hilarious. He's what, he says what a skill to be good I- at talking <laughs> shit. I'm so jealous. <laughs> he gets really out of pocket sometimes. Like those, of you who listen and know Romeo, you know what I'm talking about. He's he's just so funny. I really need to get better at talking shit. <laughs> but it's um it's just really hard to schedule with someone that you don't already live with. This is easy because it's two o'clock on a Tuesday. I can't yeah. do that with just anybody. Nobody needs to know what I'm doing at two o'clock on a Tuesday. Sorry guys, it's actually seven o'clock on a Wednesday evening. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get um, it, baby. Okay. We're gonna talk about today's story. Okay, oddly enough, Romeo just a little aside, Romeo is my best friend. He's gay. He does drag and he just had a drag show in Quincy, Illinois. And I was like, Romeo, what are the odds? The story that I'm covering next week is out of Quincy, Illinois. What Random. are the odds that my fake ID when I turned 17 years old, it said that I turned 21 mm-hmm. and my fake ID was from Springfield, Illinois. And I used to know all about the cities of Illinois. So then when I went somewhere with it, I could be like, oh, yeah, Quincy, just north or whatever. I don't know if it is still north, but I mean, if it's still north, <laughs> yeah, you move <laughs> you it. Might have moved. But um, uh, yeah, I was, I, was, I was from Illinois on my fake ID. You want to know something about my fake ID? I don't yeah. know if I've ever told you this. Let's hear it. Okay. Uh, when I got a fake ID when I turned 17, mm-hmm. I sent, you sent the money. So you sent all this information to this guy on a Yahoo email. And then you sent them a birthday card with cash in it, okay? And then I thought this guy screwed me on my ID and never showed up. And I'm like, where is my ID, dude? You're screwing me. So he was like, I already mailed it. So then he mailed me another one and I got it. Had a fake ID. Used that fake ID from 17 to 21 years old. I used to use it with so much freaking confidence. I'd throw it down and be like, be careful, it's fake. (laughs) Yeah, right. Give me my ID back. And so... Anyways, then when I I turned 21 for my 21st birthday, my dad gave me a card and the card had in it a perfectly fresh, unused fake ID that he intercepted in the mail. And that guy really did send it and he sent me another one. And so my dad has in a file somewhere, he has my fake ID that I used for four years, my brand new fake ID that was untouched (laughs) and my pre-21 ID. That is such a classic dad move. I could see my dad doing the exact same thing and just intercepting it and be like, kids. Yeah, it was awesome. (laughs) Okay, so today's story is coming out of Quincy, Illinois, and it's about the murder of Becky Bleefnick. Are you familiar at all with the name Bleefnick? Not at all. Okay, so... 
Rebecca Bernadette Possel was born on November 19th, 1981 in Quincy, Illinois. So Quincy, Austin already knows this, but Quincy is right on the Illinois-Missouri line and it's near the northeast corner of Missouri, right where Missouri and Iowa meet. Okay. It's a pretty quiet town. It's along the Mississippi River. So growing up, Becky was very close to her older sister, Sarah, and together they played outside a lot. Typical of a Midwest small town upbringing, the girls loved fishing, riding their bikes on gravel roads, and catching toads with their bare hands. In school, Becky was a stellar... Catching toads with bare hands gives you warts. I think that's a myth. I know when I was a kid, I had so many freaking warts on all the nail beds of all my fingers. It was so freaking gross and painful. And my that mom used to always like tell me, problem. no girl is going to want to hold hands with you. And I was like, I don't care. So uh, do you think it was from catching toads? Did you touch toads? I don't know, but they went away, thank God. Well, that just kind of debunked your theory. Because if you didn't have a history of catching toads, then it's all a moot point. Hmm. It's like a cow's opinion. Anyway, so they, they loved catching toads. I love toads. I love frogs. I'm not afraid to touch a toad. So in school, Becky was a stellar student. She graduated from Quincy Notre Dame High School. She was elected valedictorian of her class. After high school, she went to Quincy University. And while she was there, she met a guy named Tim Bleefnick, but they were just friends for a while. She graduated from Quincy University with a bachelor's degree in biological science with a minor in chemistry. And she graduated cum laude. Do you know what that means, cum laude? Like, Do you know what those uh, all mean? Second? No. Um, I've always wondered... Valedictorian, salutatorian. Salutatorian. But these are different. So I've actually always wondered what cum laude, magna cum laude, and summa cum laude means. So I looked it up. Okay. So cum laude means, if you don't already know, it usually indicates a high achievement with their studies. So this may vary with each school, but... Cum laude usually means that the person graduated with a high GPA of 3.8 or more, in addition to doing extracurricular activities and taking honors or AP classes. Nice. Next above that is magna cum laude, which is a GPA of 4.0 to 4.19, two extracurricular activities, and at least three honors or AP classes. Now, summa cum laude is the highest achievement with a 4.2 GPA or above, three extracurricular activities, and four AP or honor classes. Now, like I said, this could change throughout schools, but that's just kind of like the general uh, standard, I guess. <clears throat> but these people are superhuman, in my opinion. And Becky was superhuman. Two quick thoughts, and then I'm going to shut up and let you roll for a while, okay? Okay. One quick thought is I don't like... I think I, I understand weighted GPAs and how like, oh, they're more advanced classes and stuff. I just think it's interesting how 4.0 used to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And then we became, well, you could actually get a 5.0 or a 4.9. It's like, that's like, oh, you're 120% rather than just 100. I just think it's kind of strange. Number two, I was in the top 52.6% of my class. Okay. I got, I was ranked number 225 out of 427. Really, probably not something to brag about. Like I had a forty-eight percent, Callie. So, 
Anyway, we're just going to move on. Um, <laughs> so while she was in school at Quincy, Becky worked for Sanofi Aventis as one of their top performing reps in their pharmaceutical sales. But it was during this period of her life that she realized she was more interested in being hands-on in the medical field. So she pivoted her career to nursing. And let's be real, she could have definitely become a doctor. She had the discipline, the intelligence, and the talent. But after graduating from Quincy University... Becky and her friend Tim started dating and eventually married in 2009. They ultimately had three boys together. And so even though she wanted to become a doctor, she was first and foremost a mother. And she knew that the process of becoming a doctor would take away a lot of time with her kids during those pivotal years of their lives. So after graduating from Quincy University, Becky went to Blessing Ryman College of Nursing and Health Sciences, where she graduated summa cum laude, the highest of distinction with a degree in nursing. But even more amazing is that she gave birth during the spring break of her senior year, only missing one day of classes. That's insane. So she was super impressive. Yes, superhuman. So Becky and Tim Bleefnick were both very practical people. For example, they both agreed that they would rather spend a large amount of money on buying a home than on their wedding. And when they had a couple kids, Becky stayed home with them while Tim worked in the recycling industry. During their first five years of their marriage, things were good and Becky was happy. But then things kind of started to shift. Tim became progressively more manipulative and controlling of Becky. For example, when Becky wanted to go back to school to become a nurse, Tim was very much against it. It would require him to do more things around the house, which was something he never did before. He had to help out with chores or fixing things around the house or help out with the kids. And that was just not something that he was interested in. Now, Tim was also born and raised in Quincy. And while he was at Quincy University, he played on the football team. And in 2019, he was inducted into the Sports Hall of Fame at QU. Tim was very outgoing. He was known for his goofy personality and always finding humor in things. He was super friendly and a hugger. He was also very active, heavy into CrossFit, and even auditioned for the show American Gladiator. He liked being in the limelight, and he liked performing. He was very active on social media, especially TikTok. And so here are some excerpts from a couple of videos of the things that he posted. At a party, my girlfriend told me to stop being an idiot. Just be yourself. I looked at her and said, you better make up your mind. Why did the Mexican man take anxiety medication? I'll wait. Think about it. Nothing? To help with Hispanic attacks. You're welcome. So I realize this is just the audio of the video, but in the videos, he's drinking from a cup of coffee and he takes these long dramatic pauses for comedic effect. But I just feel like he's so cringy and it's, it just gives me the ick. Like if you made those videos, I'd be like, let's not post those. Let's right. just keep those in the draft. Maybe yeah. we send those to your parents or something, but maybe we don't send them to anybody. Maybe even that that's even better. So as we often see with social media profiles, what appeared to be this jovial, happy husband was really a facade for someone actually harboring a lot of toxic feelings and thoughts. And Tim exuded this somewhat toxic masculinity through his posts and the way that he carried himself. 
Like I said, he refused to do any household duties as if it was just the responsibility of the wife. And even when she went back to school for nursing and and maintained her own job, Tim refused to adjust any part of his life to help with the house or with the boys. Now, meanwhile, in 2019, Tim was still chasing that limelight, and he got the idea to apply for the show Family Feud with Steve Harvey. Becky wasn't able to join him because she was still in school at the time. So Tim applied with his two brothers, his mom and his dad, and they got on the show. Most people know what Family Feud is, but if you don't know, it's this game where two teams, usually families, are pitted against each other to name the most popular responses to a survey question posed to 100 people. So when one of the questions from Steve Harvey to Tim's family was, what's the biggest mistake you made at your wedding? And Tim answered, and his answer, I'll just play the clip for you. What's the biggest mistake you made at your wedding? Honey, I love you, but said I do. (laughs) Not my mistake. Not my mistake. I love my wife. (laughs) I'm going to get in trouble for that, aren't I? He just strikes me as this guy who thinks that he is so funny. He thinks he's like the funniest guy anyone has ever met. And he's just, but he's not. not. And if, and I think when you're just listening to it, you can't really get that vibe. But when you're watching it, he definitely has an air about him. That's like, Oh yeah, I'm hot. Do you see what I said? I got a good one about to drop. Yeah. It's like the extreme facial expressions, the drama, like the theatrics. I'm going to post the video so that you can see him for yourself on our Instagram mom and dot mystery podcast. So go and check them out, but it is just kind of cringy. Okay. So the answer he gave, it was the most common answer. It was the second most common answer among the surveyed individuals, but it was also to say that you shouldn't have said I do. Yeah, like the biggest mistake at their wedding. I think the number one mistake was saying someone else's name, and then the second one was saying I do. I don't know what the third, fourth, fifth, or whatever. Both were. of those things, though, like I don't understand. Whatever. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it was eerily foreshadowing what was to come for the Bleefnicks. So in January of 2021, Tim filed for divorce. And he maintains that he filed for divorce because when Becky became a nurse, she had a hard time handling the stress and would often take out her frustrations on Tim and their three sons. But her sister, Sarah, believes that the reason is actually because he couldn't control Becky. Becky was strong, independent, and she never needed Tim. And Tim, being a narcissist, wanted a wife who would obey, someone that he could control. And that was just never going to be Becky. So when Tim filed, he moved out of the house and moved into a home less than a mile away. Tim requested 60-40 custody of the children in hopes that he would get the 60. But many people believe that that was actually just his attempt to have to pay less in child support since he has never had much to do with the kids as much as Becky did. Becky was a very dedicated mother and she was just your quintessential boy mom. For Halloween, she built the boys' Transformers costumes that actually transformed. She created first day of school posters each year for each boy. She relished in playing outside with them, recreating her own childhood with her boys by taking them fishing, playing in the dirt and catching frogs. And she made it a priority to take her boys to church to actively build their faith in God. Everyone who knew Becky knew that she was the most incredible mother And Tim's attempts to take the boys away from her was less about him wanting time with them and more about him just wanting to hurt Becky and exert control over her. 
In the court documents, he also argued that he wanted full possession of the marital home where Becky was still living, as well as for his father to be granted unsupervised contact with his children. And that should raise a red flag, right? The truth is that Becky knew Tim's dad, Ray, had a history of being inappropriate with and around children. She had actually filed an order of protection on behalf of her children against Ray, but was denied by the court. She was desperate to protect her boys from him, and we'll see more evidence of that in messages that she sent to her closest friends. In the months that followed, the divorce became a contentious he-said-she-said battle. Both parties filed orders of protection but were denied by the court because there was no physical evidence or physical threats made on either side. On May 9th, Becky sent the following text to her close friend, Nicole Bateman, saying, quote, he told me if I outed his dad that he, Ray, would probably have to move and then kill himself. I absolutely think he will try to take away the kids, end quote. She also texted a friend saying, quote, he has screamed in my face. He shoved me in front of the kids and has thrown things across the room. And then in another text said, I truly believe Tim has serious mental health problems and he is becoming more vengeful and unpredictable, end quote. In a desperate text to her older sister, Sarah, Becky said, if something ever happens to me, please ensure that Tim is the number one person of interest. She feared that he would snap at any moment and truly became terrified when he barged into her house without permission around the same time that one of her colleagues was murdered by her partner. And she realized like this could become her reality as well. Now, Tim, on the other hand, argued that Becky was just upset that he filed for divorce and in retaliation started spreading lies about him, calling him an adulterer and an alcoholic. He claimed that she stalked and harassed him, but there's no proof of this. Despite him having a video of them at a parent-teacher conference where he claims she became combative, in this video, she's just asking him simply not to tape her because he has a camera in her face. And I was going to include that in here, but it's something you really kind of have to see to understand. So maybe I'll put it on our social media, but it's simply her calmly asking him not to tape her. And he's like more aggressive than she is. He's yeah. the one that's like, stop, stop harassing me. Yeah, he's stop getting a little carried this. away when you showed it to me. Yes. So Becky eventually started dating again and she met and fell in love with a man named Ted Johnson, who also worked in healthcare. And Ted made Becky very happy, but they kept things pretty private and close to the vest because of the brutal divorce proceedings. Despite both parties being denied orders of protection, a judge did order them to just stay away from each other except when they were exchanging the kids. And the judge also ordered that Tim had to return a 9mm handgun that Becky had gifted him when they were together. And she wanted it back because the gun was actually in her name but he never did return it. In an interview with 48 Hours, he was asked about this gun and he was like, oh, I haven't seen that gun in years. I don't even know where it is. Hmm. So divorce proceedings were scheduled for March 3rd of 2023. And just one week before their divorce would hopefully be finalized, on February 23rd, Becky didn't show up to pick her kids up from school. Her boys were 12, 10, and 5 at the time. Tim wasn't able to get a hold of her, so he texted Becky's dad and asked him to go check on her. Her dad went to her house, and at first, nothing seemed out of place. He called for Becky, but she didn't answer. And as he made his way upstairs to her bedroom, 
He finally found her lying on the bathroom floor dead. Becky had been shot a total of 14 times with a nine millimeter handgun. None of the gunshot wounds would have killed her instantly. So she had to lay on the floor of her bathroom in excruciating pain and terror before she finally passed. Her phone was found right behind her bedroom door and she had tried to call 911, but misdialed entering 91126 before the phone was either knocked out of her hand or taken and thrown behind the door. Mm. Text messages from the night before she was killed revealed that Becky had asked Tim to keep the kids one extra night because she wasn't feeling well. And this would explain why the kids weren't with her that night and why someone might know that she's home alone. Oddly enough, the intruder broke into the house through an upstairs window and into one of the boys' rooms. Investigators found a chair outside that was used to propel the intruder up onto the second story flat roof. And then the intruder was able to walk over to the windows to the second floor, past two windows, and into the third bedroom, which or the third window, which was one of the boys' rooms. The intruder entered in through that bedroom and left a footprint on the floor. Police scoured the neighborhood for evidence, asking neighbors if they had any security footage. And Becky's neighbors, the Hymans, had recently installed a camera that faced their driveway. So the Hymans' driveway ran along the side of their house. And it so when the camera was pointing at their driveway, it was also facing the side of Becky's house. Mm-hmm. So when they went over the footage, they didn't see anything from the night that Becky was murdered. But they did find footage of a figure walking along the driveway the night before the murder, as well as a week before the murder, the night of Valentine's Day. When when the Hymans saw this figure on the video, they told Becky about it so that she would be aware. And Becky did seem concerned by it. She felt like she had heard voices in her backyard that night. And she also thought she noticed her motion light go off in her backyard. Near the neighborhood, there was also footage of someone riding a bike in the area around that same time. And every time the person was captured on foot in the Hyman's driveway, this biker was also seen almost immediately before and after as well. So investigators believed that whoever was riding this bike was the same person who was walking on this security footage. The night of the murder, the bike rider was seen riding towards uh, Becky's house immediately before the murder and immediately after the murder. However, in both videos, it's impossible to tell who is riding the bike or who was walking. It was indiscernible if the figure was even a man or a woman. Like you, it literally looks like a ghost. But one thing they did notice was that the bike did not appear to have any reflectors on it. And most bikes have reflectors on the wheels, but this one didn't. And sure enough, a blue Schwinn bike with no reflectors on the wheels was found discarded less than one block away from Tim's house. A search warrant was then executed at Tim's house. They obtained his personal devices like his phone and computer, but his defense attorney argued that police were unable to obtain any bloody clothes or any shoes that would have matched the footprint that was left behind at the scene. But the search warrant wasn't executed until nearly two and a half weeks after the crime, which would have given Tim ample opportunity to dispose of any evidence. Mm -hmm. The night Becky was murdered, Tim's alibi was that he was at home with his boys. His DNA was not found on that bike, 
and they can't prove that the bike was the same one in the video, despite the fact that it had missing reflectors. But they did find one thing linking Tim to a bike, and it was pretty damning. When investigators downloaded the information off Tim's phone, they found a fake burner Facebook account under the name John Smith. Real sly. On October 10th, the John Smith Facebook account found a 26-inch blue Schwinn mountain bike with no reflectors on the wheels for sale on Facebook Marketplace and sent a message to the, sh- to the seller showing intent to purchase. No way. Two days later, Tim Bleefnick, through his own account, found another bike on Facebook and purchased it, which was a black mongoose bike. At the end of January, Tim's neighbor remembered Tim asking if he had any surveillance cameras pointed at his backyard, which is weird. Uh But now I want to get a little more specific about this timeline because this is really important. On February 10th, Tim called the Quincy police and asked if they could return a 9mm handgun to Becky because he didn't want to give it to her face to face. They denied the request, but this goes against his claims that he hadn't seen the gun in forever. Mm-hmm. On February 14th, Valentine's Day, Becky's boyfriend, Ted Johnson, spent the night at her house. That same night, surveillance from the neighbors showed that figure walking along their driveway. And I can't help but wonder if the intruder spotted Ted's vehicle and chose not to attack that night because she or he knew that she was not alone. Mm-hmm. Coincidentally, that same night, Tim's laptop computer showed that he made searches that night between 1.10 and 1.30 a.m. that included license plate lookup, title registration lookup, VIN check lookup, um, vehicle records, and the search for Ted Johnson's exact VIN and license plate number. No way. Even his VIN number. So he walked up and was looking in the windshield, looking down at the VIN and everything. Exactly. Because his truck was parked at Becky's house. Mm Mm-hmm. Then at 1.32 a.m., Tim made a phone call to the Missouri Department of Revenue, which handles vehicle registrations. The next day, February 15th, the divorce proceedings were set for March 3rd. From February 16th to the 20th, there was no bicyclist or prowler captured on video. On the 19th and 20th, Becky stayed at a friend's house. On February 21st, Tim's whoop armband are you familiar with these whoop armbands okay i had never heard of them before yeah but these armbands are something that people wear around like their bicep to track their fitness and health stats they have you can wear them on your wrist i think they even make them for your ankle and stuff but yeah they they basically like track your workouts and your heart rate and your sleep just like you're saying yeah so i think he wore his pretty religiously but on the 21st um, his whoop armband disconnected from his phone at around 12.45 a.m., indicating that his phone was not near the armband. And then at 2.11 a.m., the whoop armband reconnected to his phone. So he left, kept the armband on. But left the phone at home. Thinking, I'm going to leave my phone at home like a wise guy. Yeah. Yeah. And the biker was seen on surveillance during this time, but Becky was not home. It's wild. This is so wild whenever you have these stories where you're putting the pieces together like this on a timeline. The, when you start going, like if I'm not listening to my best throughout the whole thing, once you start saying, okay, listen to this timeline, I always get really intrigued because it's just so detailed and crazy. Yeah, because like I'm about to put this puzzle together for you right in front of your eyes and yeah. it's going to make perfect sense. And we'll get into this more later, but I just think this 
that this evidence matters. And people might think it's circumstantial evidence, but the key word is not circumstantial. It's evidence. Yeah, this is all very much... Um, Damning info. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So on February 22nd, the next day at 1242 a.m., the Whoop Whoop armband disconnected for about an hour and a half and then reconnected at 219 a.m. And then at 222 a.m., Tim unlocked his phone. And that biker is seen on surveillance. So like the timeline, it just keeps matching up for him to be the one that's on the bike. Mm Mm-hmm. On February 23rd, now this is the night that Becky was murdered. At 12.28 a.m., Tim's phone locks. At 12.36 a.m., Tim's whoop armband disconnected from his phone. At 12.55 a.m., the biker is spotted on video surveillance. At 1.11 a.m., Becky attempts to call 911 but misdials. At 1.12 a.m., just a minute later, an ADT front door alert said that the front door was opened. At 1.16 a.m., video shows the bike rider. At 1.27, about 10 minutes later, another ADT, ADT alert said that the front door was still open. And at 2.01 a.m., Tim's whoop armband reconnects. At 2.07 a.m. Picks up his phone. Picks up his phone. <sighs> It's like, it's all right there. Yeah. Oh, and it gets worse. 11.51 a.m., Tim calls the St. Peter's school where his kids go and tells them not to let his three kids walk home to Becky's house. At 1.50 p.m., surveillance shows Tim arriving at St. Peter's school exactly 57 minutes before school lets out, even though he knows Becky is supposed to be the one to pick them up that day. Mm-hmm. At 3.03 p.m., Tim texts her dad, Bill, asking if he can call her to find out when she's getting the kids because he claims that the school called him saying no one has picked up the kids. But they hadn't called? I don't know if they had called. That wasn't that wasn't made clear. They might have mm-hmm. called, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter, doesn't matter because yeah. he knows she's not coming. Yeah. At 3.30, Becky's dad, Bill, finds her dead in her home. Tim was arrested on the morning of March 13th and charged with two counts of first-degree murder and one count of home invasion. Anyone arrested has the right to a speedy trial, and sometimes, as we've seen in the Idaho murders with Brian Koberger, a defendant will waive their right to a speedy trial to give their defense team ample time to develop their defense. What does a speedy trial consist of? A speedy trial means that by the time you're charged, you have to start your trial within 90 days. And it's a right that defendants have so that they're not just kept in jail for like an unreasonable amount of time. So you can request it? So you can say, yes, I want to waive my right to a speedy trial to give the team, your team enough time to develop their case. Or you can say, yeah, I want my speedy trial, which is what he did because he wants to put the pressure on the state to be like, you have 90 days to come up with your theory as to how I killed her, despite the fact that you have no evidence. Interesting. Or that's almost, what he's hoping. There's anyway. pros and cons, I feel like, of both ways. For sure. Whether you're guilty or not. Yeah. So Tim did not waive it. And so his trial was set to begin within 90 days. And this meant that the state had to put pedal to the metal, develop the strongest case they possibly could in 90 days. The defense argued that there were prowlers in the area who had been breaking into cars and houses recently. 
But the state argued back that this was not just a random act by some prowler. Shooting someone 14 times is not random. That is very personal. That's overkill. You don't see that in a random thing. Was there anything about like talking to neighbors about did you hear gunshots or... Nobody reported hearing anything that night. Because 14 gunshots, you think about that. So he actually shot 15 times, but missed once. And so shot her 14 times. Count to 14 and yeah. think how long that has to take you to shoot somebody. That's what I'm saying. If anyone's awake in any on the street, they're going to hear 15 gunshots. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you say that because there were pieces of plastic found around Becky's body. And at first it was kind of like, what are these random little pieces of torn plastic? And when they were pieced together, they made an uh, an Aldi's shopping bag, like a plastic shopping bag. Mm -hmm. And Tim had a bunch of these bags at his house. And it seemed clear that the shooter used this bag to either muffle the sound of the shots and or catch the shell casings because only nine shell casings were found at the scene despite 15 shots being fired. Interesting. Now, DNA found on the Aldi bags and under Becky's fingernails could not exclude Tim as the potential like source of that DNA. However, it was very likely to be his. I think it was one of those like familial kind of connections where it was like, yeah, it could be like him or a relative. Like we have a, a little bit, but just not enough to say conclusively that it's him. Something from his kids, right? It could be from the kids. Well, that's what the defense argued, was that the DNA on her fingernails could have come from her sons. The DNA on the bag could have come from a time that they exchanged stuff for the boys, and maybe it was Becky's bag, actually, and the intruder grabbed it out of her kitchen, which I, I think is a big stretch. So then the state came up with the internet searches from Tim's phone that showed that he had been searching things like, can I open a door with a crowbar if I lock myself out? That's how the intruder got in through the window was with a crowbar. He also searched average police response time, how to make a homemade pistol silencer. Oh my gosh. Can I wash gunpowder residue off my hands? And his defense team argued that they can't prove he made those searches and that they they could have been made from any one of her three sons. I can't with this defense attorney. She's interviewed for 48 hours and she's been interviewed for a lot of other things too. But one of the shows I watched on this story was on 48 hours. I cannot stand her. Yeah, I just think if you're, if you're taking cases like this, like, I don't know. I can't help but think that he told her, yeah, I did it. Get me out of it. And then I think those people are dirtbags. Yeah, I just, I think it's such an insult to not only Becky, but her three kids to bring them into the mix and say, well, you know, kids search things all the time. She even had an excuse for like the burner account. Like, oh, I'm not proud of it, but I have a burner account myself because sometimes I just want to creep. And I'm like, stop making excuses for this dirtbag. It is Mm -hmm. so clear that he freaking did this. And the fact that you are going to try and fight for him to remain free so that he could do this to someone else, your karma Is not my problem, but like your karma is dark. Yes. So um, possibly the most damning of all is that the shell casings found at the scene were compared to shell casings found at Tim's house from when he had shot the gun prior to the murder. 27 of those shell casings were determined to be shot from the exact same gun that shot Becky. Each gun leaves its own markings on a shell, kind of like a fingerprint. So, Which is super interesting. I don't know a ton about this, but I did know that. And it's so wild to think that like 
every bullet has this way to trace it back to that gun. Mm-hmm. It's just weird. And I have not heard the defense on, you know, why he was searching the like Ted Johnson's um, car info and license plate info and VIN info and all that. I, that was not made clear. Like they didn't argue that in the 48 hours documentary. Cause Tim is even interviewed for this documentary mm-hmm. and he refused to touch on a lot of things, even the shell casings. But for me, that is the most damning piece of physical evidence that they do have. Mm -hmm. During deliberations, one of the jurors was truly on the fence and held out from them reaching a verdict right away. But it only took four hours for them all to come back with one unanimous vote. And on May 31st, 2023, Timothy Bleefnik was found guilty on all counts. On August 11th, the judge had the option to sentence him to anywhere between 45 years to life and he was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility for parole. He's currently trying to file his appeals, but I think that the jury got it absolutely right. I believe that Tim is a narcissist who thinks that he is the smartest person in any room and that his ego is so rooted in the need for ultimate control that when he realized Becky was better off without him, happier with this other guy, he just snapped. And his cruelty is so broadly displayed, not only in the fact that he could take away their mother from his three sons that he so claims to love, but that he would then orchestrate for Becky's own father to be the one who had to go find her, knowing what he was going to walk in on. Becky's three sons are now being raised by Becky's parents and family. Tim is not allowed to have any contact with his kids. And Becky's family wants her to be remembered for her beautiful life and not her tragic death. In an excerpt from her obituary, it says that Becky's friends and colleagues regale countless stories of how she brightened their lives, going above and beyond with her time, her energy, and generosity, from dropping in to check on a friend with a migraine to dropping off a crib to a friend in need and staying to help assemble it. She paid it forward, small gestures with lasting impact. She always found a way to highlight the achievements of others while never demanding the spotlight, although she deserved it often. Becky loved to laugh, and that laugh was contagious. If you or someone you know is in a dangerous situation with a partner, it is so important to reach out for help and to also believe victims when they admit that they're living in fear. If there is something or anything Becky would have wanted to come out of this tragic situation, it's that at least one person hears this story Mm -hmm. and feels compelled to either get help to put a stop to a dangerous situation or help someone that they know is in a dangerous situation. Mm -hmm. It really could save a life. Man, super sad. I find it mind-blowing how many of these cases are kind of solved by subpoenaed search history. Mm -hmm. I mean... You freaking people are Casey Anthony. I mean, you're Googling, which she got away from with it, but you're Googling like literally the exact thing you're doing. Yeah. You know, and that was back in, you know, 10 years ago. Now you're doing this in 2023 with the advancements in technology. You should know better than to be that stupid of a criminal, but I'm grateful that he was because it got him caught right? and it got him convicted. So I'm not saying like, Oh, criminals be smarter, but it's just, it amazes me how stupid someone who believes they're so smart can be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's the irony is, is almost funny, <clears throat> man. The timeline you did was crazy. Those, those always get pique my interest, like I said, but 
Yeah, you know, I, I feel know. like there is a lot of circumstantial evidence, and if this were ca- were tried with Casey Anthony's jury, he might have gotten away with it. But man, do I love seeing a jury use common sense to put together pieces of a case that may not be this like super straightforward physical evidence, and may- there may be a little room for for doubt, but. Common sense should tell you that this is a pretty cut and dry, obvious case. Mm-hmm. Who else would have done this? Who else would have had the means, motive, and opportunity or reasons to do this other than Tim? So I'm really glad to see that justice was served in this case because we don't always see that and it's infuriating. But I do believe in our justice system that when you are judged by a jury of your peers, that they should be allowed to use their common sense. Mm-hmm. You do a good job at being like step in on a legal team one day for a case, even though you've never taken the bar exam. <laughs> You're just good with words and arguing. Be good at it, Kelly. Thank you. I agree that I am good at arguing. <laughs> cool. That's like being good at talking shit like Romeo. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I get passionate. I just get passionate. And when I was seeing all this stuff be put together, I was like, no way this guy is innocent. And during, I, I do suggest that you all watch the 48 Hours documentary because he is interviewed in it. And just watch his body language because there's times when he just kind of, he acts really sulky. And all I can help but think is that he's like, this is my time. This is my Oscar moment to win my Oscar and show how good I am at performing. That's something those, I've always been interested in. He's one of those guys that if he wasn't a convicted murderer, we'd be like, man, he's different. And we probably wouldn't say much else. But now that we know he is, he's a major cheese dick. Mama. Mystery. Out. <laughs> Tell me what your grades were for your sophomore year again. My sophomore year, I had a D plus in language arts, a D plus in Spanish too, a D plus in world history, and then a few Bs. And then your junior year. So My wait, what was your GPA year, your sophomore year? Um, it doesn't tell like, me like that because it's not registered. It's like too no, low, kind of no, like a scale th- when you're too fat, and it's like. Can't can't weigh ya. Get canceled for making fun of fat people. That's perfect. I hope you get canceled. Um, it's a thing. Have you ever watched Six Hundred Pound Life? It's a thing. People who are like six hundred pounds, they can't just step on a normal scale. It's it's true. I'm not shaming. It's just the fact of life. Facts get you canceled, Cal. Okay. All right, let's talk about your junior year. My junior year, I got a D minus in algebra two, and I had a lot of B's that year, so I was really on point. What was your GPA? It doesn't tell you. Well, it then tells how did me, you know you had a 2.375? Because it tells me a cumulative D- GPA for my entire four years, and I had a 2.375. For four years? Yeah. In my senior year, <laughs> I had multiple Bs. I had a D in sociology, an F in college algebra, an F in marketing internship, and an F in international business marketing. Gosh, right. my senior year, I was F for fucking off. <laughs> Or for failing, one or the other. Golly. How did you graduate? Um, Carefully. By flirting? F is for flirting with all your teachers? Had a couple hot ones. None that look like you, though. If you would have been my teacher. (laughs) My freshman year, I had a D. So I went to a Christian school for one semester. They gave me a D for my Christian character grade, and I remember it. I got a D for Christian character because I would like forget my pencil and arrive late to class. And that affected my Christian character. Well, I think you get an A plus for Christian character because I think you are great. And your grades 
during your high school years Don't do not reflect, reflect how you ended up because you are very successful now. I love you, sweetheart. Um, I wouldn't really share this with our children until maybe later that, you know, they can just screw you off in school. You know what's crazy, <laughs> be babe? Fine. Community service hours. Mm-hmm. Did you have to complete community service in order to graduate? No, but we, they did have like a class and I, I did take that class. We had to complete like 25 or 30 or something. And mine says hours met requirement. And I don't remember what I did, but I know I, I gained the system. I didn't, I didn't do any. And I'm, and I'm still, still feeling guilty about that. All right. Well, I, I don't know. I got a 24 on my ACT. I only took it one time. Enough bragging about me. Let's get back to it.